Okay, well, episode 154 of We Were Gamers, where there's no guarantee I won't lose my voice. Whoa. Yeah. Michael? Nothing's for sure. How enjoyable was it to listen to me while we were at Knott's on Saturday? I mean, I had wondered briefly if you'd taken up chain smoking, but... Yeah, it was pretty great. Uh, you'd, so you did take up chain smoking, and you think it's great? Uh, <laughs> y- y- mm. That's what you said. <laughs> I think the funnier part of the weekend was Easter, uh, which was Sunday, this past Sunday. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's a solemn day for people of certain faiths. Not solemn, somewhat celebratory, but also solemn. This also is uh, Passover this it's, whole Hey, yeah. Week yeah, they coincide this year. Shout out. Passover this weekend was uh was fun. We 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 did some Passover too. Um kosher wine is actually pretty good. I will fight you about this. Oh really? <laughs> I don't agree. I'm ready to throw down. I, I got not agree. That's I got a red wine that'll knock your socks off. Made in Israel. Okay. It's kosher. Maybe I just haven't had good kosher wine. Maybe that's it. I'm ready. Every kosher wine I, I've had. I'm coming to this. Bad grape juice. <laughs> <laughs> we did have a throwdown about Manischewitz at Passover. And okay. Manischewitz, also terrible. Yeah. And that one I stand on the side of terrible. But uh, there is kosher wine that is good. And I'm coming prepared to this fight. Okay. I'm definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Easter, I lost my voice completely. And so I was whisper talking and a lot of people thought I was just being very, um, cognizant of the day. <laughs> very somber. Yeah. Wow. Um, Hold on. Isn't that the opposite? It, shouldn't Easter be the one where everyone is rejoicing all the time? I mean, you're supposed to think about the, the trials of it all up to the celebration, right? But Passover is also like, Hey, things are terrible, but also they were good at the end of this. So like I think yeah it's it's okay it's interesting that they both coincide and they both begin terribly but by the end of them you have um something to celebrate both on brand in a certain way right yeah hashtag #religion yep mm-hmm. welcome to the religion zone we were <laughs> catholics <laughs> once also on brand <laughs> <laughs> Oh, welcome back. We were gamers, a podcast about video games and the Game Boy. Let hold on. What? Let's just derail this completely still. Not about video games. Did anyone do anything fun this weekend? Yeah. Yeah, in fact. <laughs> yeah. We just said nuts. <laughs> I want to uh, know about no, nuts. I'll, I'll jump in while Andy catches his breath I, again. I'm literally yeah, I'm gonna have to start handing this off at some point here. Uh, so actually, Andy and I were for the second weekend in a row in the same place. Um, we were at Knott's Berry Farm. We do live in the same county. Yeah, that helps. Um, but in the same place being another amusement park. Ah, sweet. Um, so they do a boysenberry festival, uh, which includes a, a big beer and wine section. For those and not in the know, it is called Knott's Berry Farm. Literally built on the stand on a... Uh, what used to actually be a berry farm. How was yes. that? How was that place to work there, DJ? Uh, not great. As oh. a person who worked there when they were in high school, uh, you know, they pay you below minimum wage uh, until you finish your quote training period, which just happens to last the entire length of the season. Hmm. 
What a surprise. Shocking. Funny how uh, that works. Yep. Uh, but, you know, it paid, and it was extremely easy, so. <laughs> and now we know why the, li- the lines move so slowly, Michael. Yes, that <laughs> answers that question. I didn't work on the rides. I, I was too young at the time. But yeah, so we uh, we went, enjoyed some good boysenberry-themed food, and uh, had was, a few drinks and wandered the, wandered the park. What was your standout boysenberry item? Uh, it might have been the pot roast this year, although that the chili in the boysenberry bread bowl was also really good. That was okay. my, the boysenberry sourdough bread was my winner. I saw this picture, and guys, that doesn't look good. What? It looks bad. Which, the the bread? The blue, the blue bread is not, I don't want this. Michael, <laughs> go get the boysenberry bread. I'll go to Total Wine and get the kosher wine. We're just going <laughs> to chain him to a chair intervention feed him a bunch stuff. of food that he thinks is bad until he stops. <laughs> I mean, it just, the picture looks unappetizing. The chili part and the cheese and all the stuff in that bowl, yes. The, the bread was better bread than the chili, dude. looks... Looks terrifying. The bread, the bread was better than the chili. It's not that much different than having like a blueberry bagel, where the bagel gets dyed purple because of the berries. I, I understand that intellectually, <laughs> but my heart can't go there. <laughs> so that that was the feeling that we had, JJ. So I said the the pot roast was a standout. The pot roast came with blueberry mashed potatoes. Very, the blueberry mashed potatoes kind of were a, a sensory experience because that, your your mouth registers, oh, I'm tasting berries, but your brain is stuck on the fact that it's just like the consistency of mashed potatoes. That sounds bad. It was definitely, it was not my standout because it, it was weird. It was weird. <laughs> it wasn't bad. Um, like it, it was tasty in its own way, but it was just kind of weird. Did it taste like berry paste or something? No. No, it was fresh berries like mixed into the the mashed potatoes. I mean, it just tasted like you were eating like buttery porridge. buttery porridgey poison berries. This isn't a video podcast and it's too bad because the face <laughs> I just made was real good. I plan to rectify that in 2019. So, we'll redo this discussion. At some point. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, they, that they didn't operate sound good. They operate this thing much like the uh, food and wine festival at Disney, where you get you pay for a pass and then you get X amount of tickets. Um, some things were much more we were of a value. Recently. Yes. Yeah. You you kind of approach it the same way too. You figure out what the per cost of each one of the little tabs is, and then. Only buy the $8 bowl of chili, never the $3 cookie or whatever. Right. Because you can buy everything a la carte as well. So, And there was stuff that's not on there, like alligator. Yes. The alligator was not on there this year, although it has been in years past. Oh, interesting. All right. I hand off the podcast to the... Well, uh, I will jump in then and say that I went and saw my parents this past weekend, uh, you know, some family time around the holiday there. Uh, and we had sous vide lobster, which I had never seen done before. Huh. Okay. So you, you brought it up to temperature. How did, how do you finish it? Um, to be clear, this is my father doing it, not me. Okay. I was just kind of standing around 
absorbing the knowledge. Um, but yeah, you, uh, you, you crack the shell. Uh, so these are tails, not the whole lobster, because I okay. guess it, according to him, the whole lobster, uh, you couldn't get it in the bag without breaking the bag. <laughs> that seems like problem a problem. Yeah. So uh, how, I mean, these are cooked and then frozen lobsters, right? Uh, no, they were pretty raw. I mean, they were like translucent and isn't the slimy when you pull them out of the bag. the tail kind of a soupy mess when you break it open? Uh, no, I mean, there's meat in there. Okay. Uh, I guess I'm not sure, you know, he didn't buy these as whole lobsters. He bought them as tails. Okay. But, okay. Got it. And they were frozen, but not cooked was my understanding. Got it. And you can, you can break a lobster down before you cook it. Totally. Uh, and, uh, also to not break the bag, you know, the back of the tail has those little spiny parts like mm-hmm. on the underside there. He took some scissors and kind of clipped along the edges of the spiny parts to sort of file down the, the sharp edges on the bottom there. Uh, and then you cut the back of the tail open down the center, like the the ridged part on top. Uh, and you pull the open that up and stick a pad of butter in there, and then close Ooh. it back up. All right, I'm in. Um, yeah, and I'm sold. You, and you stick them in the sous vide thing with like some lemons, some boysenberries. Uh, no boysenberries. <laughs> Although maybe I don't know. Nah, lemons. You want lemons. Uh, and then you know sous vide them to you know temperature for like it doesn't even take much more than an hour. Uh, and then afterwards, you know, you bring them out, uh, you pull the meat back out of the tail, uh, and you don't need to cook it anymore. You can just finish it, uh, with a squeeze of lemon and some drawn butter on top. It was really fantastic. So I wanted to shout that out there. Uh, sous vide is fun and practical. So that's what we'll be finishing our intervention with. We'll all have sous vide lobster. Ooh, yeah. I mean, but he already knows he likes that. That's not fair. I mean, it's a reward for us. Oh, yeah, there you go. Okay. And I mean, the whole thing's a reward for him. <laughs> All the food is good. He just doesn't have the gall to try it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it just... All right. I'm, you know what? I'm not going to defend myself on this. I'm probably wrong here. Hey, I want to throw back to last episode for a second. Yeah. Uh, you said I knew way too much about Time Crisis 2. That's true. I have uh, discovered recently in a box because I've been cleaning up my office and stuff. Um, I had Time Crisis 2 for the PlayStation 2 with a light gun. That explains oh, a few things, I think. Yeah, explains there a few things. M- missing piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. I, I was pretty sure that no person, no matter how good, was going to be able to beat that on essentially one playthrough without knowing as much as you did somehow. Uh, yeah, I had forgotten that you got like a light gun that looked like the Time Crisis 2 gun, and then you pressed up on the D-pad, and since you didn't have a foot pedal, there's a little yeah. D-pad where your thumb goes. Uh, but you have to point the gun away from the screen anyway, because it's cool. Right, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How else? No, you don't reload that way. You reload by dropping, but... Oh, am I thinking of like Virtua Cop or something? You think Vert or uh, Area Fifty One? Yeah, mm, maybe yeah, that's the one yeah, you have to put away. Time Crisis One, maybe. I could not possibly remember. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so there are video games that exist, and you know, <laughs> one of the uh, an important anniversary came just recently, right, Michael? Uh, it was yesterday, in fact. The Game Boy turned thirty. So How is April twenty first, April twenty first, twenty nineteen, the Game Boy released in Japan. 
God, we are so old. Well, that makes it seem like how long was the Game Boy out before we got Game Boy Color? I bet the answer to that is way longer than you think, actually. Game Boy Color NA. The Game Boy Color came out while the Super Nintendo was still pretty big, 1998. Right? So nine no. years? Oh, wait. Nine years. Okay. The Game Boy Color came out in 98? Yeah. Wow. Oh, the PlayStation was out in 96, 95? Uh-huh. Yeah, because they had Game wow. Boy Pocket, I guess, in 96, but really, I didn't have a Game Boy until I got a Game Boy Color in 98. Yeah, I never actually owned one, but I played so many of them over the years. Yeah, yeah I had yeah. I had the original, uh, and I had a Color, and I had an Advance, and I don't think I had anything else until I got my 3DS. Yeah, I jumped on the train at the Advance, and then the DS and the 3DS. Uh, color, Advance, DS, DS Lite, 3DS. Man. Wait, wait, what was the clamshell one? SP. Uh, that, oh, the really tiny um, Game Boy? Or the, the one that Boy was Ad- kind of like The Game fat. Boy Advance clamshell. Oh, that that's just the original version of the Game Boy Advance. They then changed it, like, the next iteration to, like, look good. The flat one? Yeah. I think the flat one came first. Doesn't matter. The the fat one came first. Anyway, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Those were good systems, but we're not talking about them. We're talking about the OG Game Boy. All right. Ignoring Tetris, because that's the the perfect and exact right answer. What is everyone's pick for their favorite Game Boy game? Uh, It had to release before Color, so not Pokemon. Uh, Original Pokemon was on regular Game Boy, so I guess you could pick that. Yep. Hmm. That's a good answer. I mean, so are we? Because okay, hold on, let me think. <laughs> well, so I mine's pretty easy because it's the one that I I played into the ground was Link's Awakening. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. I definitely did not have that one uh, or play it much, but I knew it was well liked at the time, even if it was very strange. Yeah, it was, but the the strangeness of it, I think, just sort of added to the charm. Link's Awakening. Yeah, the the original yeah, yeah. Game Boy game. Yeah. The uh, yeah. I think if you're gonna make me pick it's one, pretty good. I mean, like I said, Tetris is obviously the right answer. But you can't not. I mean, Tetris is cool, but it also came out as its own thing because I had a handheld Tetris machine before I had a Game Boy. Oh yeah, there's a billion like yep. just Tetris things, but everyone thinks of Game Boy Tetris. Like everyone sure. remembers that. Yeah. Um, I would say maybe one of the like. Is it Final Fantasy Adventure or Final Fantasy Mystic Quest? One of those like weird offshoot games that wasn't actually a Final Fantasy game that it turns out later. Yeah, I think it was Final Fantasy. Final Fantasy Adventure. I think Adventure is the one, yeah. Because Mystic Quest was for the Super Nintendo. Oh, I was going to say, I definitely did not play that at the time. I came to it later. Yeah, so that's my problem with this answer is that uh, if I went from what I played originally was Pokemon all the time, all day, every day, Pokemon for years. Uh, I mean, clearly a very good answer. You know, it was, I think I had red, red, yellow, and gold at least before I really played much else other than Tetris. Um. So the amount of hours spent would have to be like Pokemon, but 
uh, came to later, a lot later, was Six Golden Coins, the Super Mario Land 2. Oh, that's oh, a good yeah. one. Yep. Yeah, that's I a good one that for one sure. Too. And so if, you know, I could tell 10-year-old me to go play a different game, it would be <laughs> Mario Land 2. <laughs> or 12-year-old, I guess. I think that's a really good one. The, man, 30 years, Jesus, dude. So, I just like, I can't believe it's been that long. Well, it puts it into perspective, right? Because I'm only, what, what, the oldest of us is 33, 34? Yeah, I'm 34. Yeah. Yeah. So, you would have been, you wouldn't have been playing it when it came out. I I wasn't, yeah. I like I don't think I saw or played a Game Boy until like mid-90s, probably. There's no system left that is a seminal system for that amount of time. It's insane. I mean, they've shown... It, uh, I saw recently even, you know, retrospectives of actors filming on the set of Avengers and they were, someone brought an original Game Boy and the link cable and Tetris and the actors were like sitting in their tent <laughs> playing, oh, <man. laughs> playing Tetris on the Game Boy from the link cable. And they were all like, all of them were good because they all remembered playing it when sure. they were kids. I'm yeah. sure they sunk so many hours into it. I mean, trading Pokemon over a link cable at, during your recess, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's insane. 30 years. What a system. I still have one working Game Boy Color. Game Boy um, Color was a real great update to that thing, too. Yeah, it was. That was a that was a good move by Nintendo. I don't know if it's bad memory or if the LCDs are starting to just get old because, gosh, they're hard to see. <laughs> Uh, it's probably both bad memory and the LCDs being old. Yeah. The issue is that the resolution on them is so low now that you don't remember how bad they look. Until <laughs> you have a picture in your mind and it's like 1080p. <laughs> when you needed to play them in really bright light to be able to see the actual yeah. colors. And... There are people out there who have now modded like backlit screens into these old consoles so you can play them in like non-direct sunlight environments. <laughs> I still have my, um, the link cable port could also power a light. Yeah. Did you have the, the snap on light for yeah. playing at night? Well, there was the snap on light for the big Game Boy, the huge magnifier that also had a light in it. Yep. And then there was the, um, little aftermarket lights, but I'm pretty sure it was pre LED. So there's a little light bulb in there. You can imagine mm-hmm. how much battery that thing's sucking up. Oh, yeah. It was and, called- uh, like Those Game Boys went through batteries like no one's business. <laughs> yeah, you better ruining you better the environment. Buy some, Single buy some stock and energizer. <laughs> yeah, for real. Ruining the Costco the, uh... battery pack of like eight hundred double A's. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look at this Game Boy Color backlit screen mod. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Oh like yeah the the DIY. Are you looking at the DIY hack that mm-hmm. is making the rounds? Yeah, and people have modded them into Game Boy Advances and stuff now too, so you can play those. As well, because they also had they they were better, but also had screens that could use better backlight. Sixty bucks or so to put a backlight in there if you want to just buy a package. Yep, hope yeah. you're good with electronics yourself, though. Oh yeah, because you probably have to connect a lot of stuff, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, well, probably yeah, a, a tiny bit of soldering, but not much. Well, what's this soldering kit for if I'm not going to use it? I mean, hey, there you go, right get in there. Right? Yeah. Uh, 
Should we stick with the little Nintendo for a minute? Sure. Let's do it. Hey, the Switch is on version 8 in two years. That's Just like a soft system software. OS yeah. update. <laughs> software update uh, that lists last week. Yeah, I heard there was a, a big change with this one that people had been uh, had been hoping that they would implement for a while now. Yo, do you like your save games? I, I like, like save games, games a lot. Do you like taking save games with you places to other places? Well, like, can't you already do that with the Switch? You can kind of do it with the Switch. If you have yeah. the online it's- account, you can, like, sign in and then download your cloud save. Oh, so I can sign into someone else's Switch now. Uh, No, no. Now you can just transfer your save data to another console. Oh, so if I buy Directly. a second Switch and I sign into it. <laughs> I don't... Or if you buy one of the new Switches that it's coming. Uh-huh. Now you're thinking. But, but why? <laughs> they because got a good upgrade. Switch. <laughs> Because they want you to upgrade and they don't want to hear any more complaining. I'm serious, though. Why can't I use it when I sign into your console? What do you mean? If I buy, if I log on to someone else's console, will it download my saves? If you have the, if you pay for the cloud service. Okay, so if I'm a Nintendo online subscriber. You should be able to back up your cloud data to that, to that account that you've now created and logged into on the Switch, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But this is a predis, pred, pred, proceeding? Yeah. Predecessor? Subsequent? No. (laughs) Michael's nailed it. There's a new console coming, and they want people to be able to move their stuff without complaining. But of course. Mm -hmm. You know, like a competent system manufacturer would provide you the tools to move to a new system if you wanted to for whatever reason. Laying the groundwork. That's Hmm. what we're going. Smash it 3.0. Or like if your kid broke it, which seems like a thing would happen with a Switch. Don't put that evil on me, Bobby. Don't put that evil. Ah, uh, so there's a Smash update. <laughs> Joker came out as long as well as a stage editor. Guess which of those two things I actually booted up to try. So that's going to be the stage editor. Yep. <laughs> it's pretty cool, man. The other one involves actually playing Smash. Hey, I played a heck of a lot of Smash. Oh, hundreds, I believe. Hundreds of hours in that game. I didn't have the wherewithal this past weekend to... Uh, learn a new character and spend all that time on it. But uh, I had to check out that stage editor and it's pretty cool. How many pictures of bodily parts that shouldn't have been there did you see? Oh, no. Uh, None. How many instances of Super Mario World 1-1? I wisely stood far apart from looking at the online stuff. And just okay. sort of tinkered on my own to see what you could do. People okay. with a lot of time will make good stages. I believe that. <laughs> I saw one that used like stage interactions to pet a dog, which I thought was cute. <laughs> it's a good yeah, use of that time. A yeah. platform shaped like a hand would move and pet a dog in the background or something. Yeah. I can't wait to see people use the uh the depth, the new depth feature that they've added, which is you can go into the backs of stages now. Oh, oh cool. nice. Yeah, so like not the the stages have always been 3D but but 2D. Mhm. Now they're 3D and and deep. So you, can, so you can fight on multiple planes. Right. 
Mm-hmm. So that's the big news there. Um, more to report when I try out Joker, I guess. We smash is good, right? We're saying. Uh, yeah. Look, last year was um, get a switch, right? Mm-hmm. It's gonna take a lot this year to derail me from telling people to get Smash. Okay, I'm just checking in because I I didn't play it. Yeah, Smash is good. This okay. Smash is very good. It's got so much I, stuff in it. This stuff I haven't even done, and I what like. If, what if I said that I wish instead of Joker they had brought a character from Persona Four, which is the superior Persona RPG? You would, you would be the the voice of this podcast. And we would trust you. Okay. I guess Persona 5 is the one that's coming out, though, so they have to mark it, right? Yeah, they want that that tie-in. Yeah, he summons his own Persona, too, by the way. Have you seen video of how he fights? I've seen... I know what his Persona looks like, and I've seen, I think, at least one video of it in Smash. Okay, he if he is able to summon his Persona, which he has to build a meter to do... Uh, not only does his persona uh, reflect incoming damage, it also provides a counter. Seems good. Yeah. You think? Two attacks oh. off of your one attack. Yeah, I'll take it. Must be like time limited or something. It's short. You have to, you know, it's like almost like a perfect dodge sort of situation. But mm. it's good. It's really good. Well, speaking of perfect dodges, uh, <laughs> I tried to do some of those in Sekiro this past week. <laughs> it didn't go so well. <laughs> uh, I finally, uh, I can tell you that I've played that game uh, a lot over this past week. Not the weekend specifically, but over the, the past week. And I finally, finally beat this boss that I'd been struggling with for the majority of the week. Um I don't know if I want to spoil it, but he's uh, at the top of a castle, we'll say. Uh, And wow, uh, that guy was a giant pain in my rear end. And I am very happy that I killed him. I'm sure that was a satisfying moment. I literally yelled out, die, you uh, bad guy. And (laughs) as I was stabbing him through the heart and could not have been more happy. (laughs) (laughs) I have started to understand with Sekiro that um, frustration can breed endless joy, maybe. It was the feeling of, like, the last run I did on him, I was like, okay, I'm now just bored by the first phase of this fight. I know I'm going to jump here, I'm going to attack here, he's going to do this thing, I'm going to hit this button two times, then hit the other button, and then he's going to go into this move, and I'm going to dodge, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to jump over it, and, like... I could every time he started to move, I like already knew what he was going to do because I played that part so many times. And then when it got to the the area that I was less familiar with, I was just like death grip hands on the controller, being like, <laughs> not going to blink in case he starts to move his hand one way or the other, and I think he's going to dodge or attack or whatever. Uh, and yeah, it was just really really tense at the end there, and it brings me to um. They put out a patch for Sekiro uh, today, the day of this podcast recording, uh, where they changed some of the systems a little bit. And I'm going to read to you the uh, one line from this patch notes. Improved the efficiency of ninja prosthetic items, and they give a whole list of them here. 
That's right, because the ninja has, he has like a, a fake arm, right? Right. And basically you can fit all these different kinds of like, they call them prosthetic tools or weapons or something like that. And basically they're like different secondary attacks you can use. So one of them will like whip out a giant spear out of your arm and you can stab someone with it. The other one will throw these firecrackers, which explode and make enemies flinch. Or another one will sh- throw shurikens really fast or uh, shoot fire. There's a whole bunch of different ones you get. Um, one poisons people. One does a whole bunch of different things. And every time you want to use one of these, it costs this little resource you have called spirit emblems, right? You can hold 15 by default, and then it goes up. Uh, there's a couple of skills you can buy that increase it by, like, one. Hmm. <laughs> Okay, every time you use this thing, each of these attacks uses like one or two spirit emblems. Dude, there are some that use three or more. That means you get to use these attacks like twice ever in this whole fight that takes like 10 minutes. And meanwhile, you're like jamming the the attack button as fast as you can or whatever in some cases, right? Or the parry button, right? Also similarly fast. And so you're frantically pressing these buttons and then you want to use the... this the ninja tools and you have to be like oh god i don't know do i want to use this like tiny limited resource i can only throw these firecrackers like six times total in this whole fight is it worth it so they've added something else to think about that is somewhat actually detrimental to your combat mentality yeah where you end up getting into this like kind of this combat flow where you're like parry parry attack 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 dodge parry jump attack whatever then you're like okay i'm going to use these like ninja attacks well, like, what if I want to do, like, you know, peri-peri ninja attack, jump attack, peri-peri ninja attack, and, like, but you can't, because by the time you've done that loop three times, you're out of the ninja stuff, and you can never use them again until you rest at a thing, respawning all the enemies. Oof. Hmm. And beyond that, it's a limited currency. So it's like, yeah, you have 16 of them, or or 17, or 18, or whatever, however many it is, after you buy all the upgrades. But can you buy more for two ninety nine? No, thankfully, uh, but you can pay in-game money at the cost of 10 coins a piece. And to be fair, 10 coins is basically nothing. You kill a guy and you get like 40 coins, but you have to rest at the thing and respawn all the enemies to buy more. So if you run out, like if you go over the limit, it stores them automatically for you. Thank God. Oh, yeah. But if you run out because you're fighting a boss over and over and not killing anyone to get money or to gain anything and you go broke and you use all your spirit things to trigger these tools, now you have no recourse but to stop fighting the boss, forgetting all the patterns, and go grind regular enemies for money and, and emblems. It sucks. Well, the game was beatable before these things, right? Oh, totally. But you, it just leads to you never using the ninja tools because you either don't have money for the thing or you're afraid to use it because you don't want to waste your money on the thing and you don't know how it will work because you haven't used it enough times. <laughs> you have the Final Fantasy, I'm not going to use those uh, buff items because I might need them later problem, except for real. Yes. And like the funny thing is the buff items in that game, similarly, that you have you know items that will increase your attack or you know, you'll take less damage or whatever. You find those every time you kill guys and they last for like a certain amount of time or whatever, but they're way more plentiful than these emblems, which you could blow through 20 on one life in about 10 seconds and then die, and, you know, they're gone forever. At least the buff items, you know, you you only use one per life instead of 20. And, like, I kill a guy, he drops two of them. All right, scrap everything I said about frustration breeding happiness. 
<laughs> I, the battle, like the difficulty of the battle and stuff, I think is great. It's just they they sort of change this system or the way the system works. It limits you from being creative like you want to be. And that's a bummer. I guess my big bummer takeaway from the game thus far. I'm really enjoying it and having a great time. Uh, double, especially now that I killed that guy. I can't yeah, I've always I've always disliked games where they do that, where they build in a system where you have a resource, but the either your ability to carry them or your ability to find the items that you need is is severely limited. I can't remember a game this hard that has captured this many people for this long. I mean, Sekiro has been a huge drop on the gaming community in terms of, you know, a lot of dudes that play, you know, very simple sim games or phone games. Or, you know, they're all now out streaming Sekiro or talking about Sekiro. You got guys like Ninja playing Sekiro. Everyone's on it. And for such a game like that, like, it's not Pokemon Go. This is a hard game. I can't remember the last time a game that hard grabbed that many people. Flappy maybe, Bird. Maybe the original Dark Souls. But yeah, I think that you're definitely onto something. I And, you know, I, I am really liking it. I'm just, they give you all these various options, right? And you want to play with the option. But now you're like actively punished for experimenting with the thing to find out if it's good which sucks. Like I, that's a real bummer. And this patch to improve the efficiency. So it uses less emblems or whatever may give you some breathing room there. But honestly, I wonder if like the real way to do it is just to like load up cheat engine and <laughs> mod the game so that your spirit emblems never decrease or something or them to readjust the system. So it's just a new move set item. Yeah. Or even if like, if they want it to be some limited use, just like, don't make it a drop. Just like every time you rest, it refills. You're good. Or a, right, make treat it like a mana bar instead of making it like these weird items you have to collect. Or a movement based thing. Like, okay, you have to reload it. So you have to find some way in this battle to stand still for more than three seconds. Yeah, sure. That would be extremely difficult on some of those fights. So that could be fun. But at least you could do it, right? Right, totally. You know, oh, he has to reload the stuff into his arm, so he's got to stand behind that pole for three seconds. Good luck. Yeah, man. I like it. But then that's no a, more emblems. <laughs> Fixed yeah, I, it. I would, You're welcome. I, hire Andrew for game design there, people. <laughs> yeah. You know what? You know who else should hire me for that? Who? Overwatch. What's up with Overwatch, man? Do you hey, have some opinions? The one time a year that I now play Overwatch has come. A word? Yeah. The archives have opened. The single player mission has dropped. And it bores me to tears. Is it the same single player mission as last time? No, it's uh, this, so they have now have three available single player missions. Um, the first one was very hard. The second one was pretty easy, and this one scales well. But it's an escort mission, and after you do it the first time, oh boy, is it boring. oh god. Right? Escort missions already are generally a bad call. Well, there's a lot of story stuff to grab in there. When you, I mean, they've got, they knew they were going to have a lot of time blah, the second time. Oh, no. But it's, a, you know, you're supposed to play it a lot. There's a lot of achievements. There's a lot of skins. There's a lot of stuff. And in the last two years, they walked a good balance, I think, a little bit of, of, okay, yeah, the story stuff's here, but you can move ahead of it because the missions were, there was a little escort. There was a payload that you had to move. 
Um, but the fight around the payload was continuous and hard enough, and uh, the payload really couldn't be overwhelmingly damaged. Uh, so, anyway. Um, mm -mm. They didn't find the right mix for you yet, huh? I think they need to stop with making maps. They're literally just map making to do this, right? And and often the uh, archives is a new map that gets introduced. So this one is actually Cuba. And it looks beautiful. They have these 50s cars that are uh, like hovering cars, but they're still 50s cars like Cuba has, right? Oh, very cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like they need to turn the aesthetics people loose because they're doing an amazing job. You walk around the map of like a, the Blizzard World or the 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 new Cuba map or or the previous story mission maps and they're just beautiful and they have a lot of stuff going on and then you know those maps get introduced for for competitive for all these things that that are related to the fact that oh it was an escort mission so now that's going to be a payload map so they're trying to dual purpose all this stuff where maybe the archives has they kind of maybe need to step away from that and be building single player things that are more arcade like in terms of their uh, their mission scope or something like that because otherwise I don't know if I'll be playing this next year. Gameplay is not doing it though, huh? No, I mean you came for the cool story, you came for the challenge, you came for trying out different characters in the free to free like free play mode where you could take anybody. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just not there for me now. I don't get it. Overwatch has got to figure something out. Their mojo is off. Ta-da! A little bit of a bummer. Sorry. I just, uh, I don't no, know that okay. I have, unlike the Sekiro thing, uh, I don't know that I have the game design decision other than to say their art direction is very good, but it doesn't seem like there's much other direction there other than, like, make sure we're making more of the game that we're making rather than yeah. thinking about what's next for the game they're making. I yeah, wonder... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say just sort of stagnating rather than pushing forward. Yeah, I was going to say, I wonder if all the people designing gameplay stuff are working on Overwatch 2 or whatever, not like maps and single player stuff for the current Overwatch. Well, the system they're in of, of having basically filled out the year now with all the events that they have to redo every single year, they've got to do a new... Lunar New Year event. They have to do a new archives event. They have to do this every other month or every month and a half or so. They've got an event running. And they've now filled out the year. They can't do any more events than, than they've got, right? So it's not like they're going to break the mold unless they cancel one of those events. Or they need another team to come in to do something else. And also they can't do anything crazy because these maps that they introduce, if they introduce a new map for these events are going to get rolled into the Overwatch competitive league. And so they have to make sure that they work for that. Um, and so I'm wondering a little bit if the game itself has now um, found itself a victim of its own um, e-sport success in a way. That definitely could be. I mean, you know, the... It also, you know, Blizzard is a big enough company that they could have multiple groups working on different parts of things. Totally. Um and, you know, this is being handled by, like, the eSports and the live team over here handling current Overwatch. And there's 
double ultra black secret Overwatch team two on the side inventing whatever it is next, you know, or not. I don't know. Obviously, I have no insight into what they're actually doing. Um, I'm sure someone somewhere in Blizzard has uttered the words Overwatch two, but I don't know what that is or could possibly even look like. Right, right. All right. Well, uh, let's uh, change directions here a little bit, maybe. Sure, sure. I want to harken back to a podcast many eons ago. JJ, you and I bought a similar component for our computers. One would That's say good. maybe the most important component update to a computer in the last decade, an SSD. Uh, yes, yeah. everyone should buy those. They're great. Uh, for just a moment, <laughs> I was refurbishing a computer for someone to use that does not particularly need a quick computer, etc. And I booted it on a hard drive. Oh my. Did you? Uh, how many books did you finish before I came up? Three minutes, you guys. Yeah. Three minutes is how long it takes a computer to turn on. All right. Component class, anybody in? Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's do it. We've talked about almost everything for a computer. I want to save the best for last. Uh, so we're not going to do the motherboard yet. But you got to put all this stuff somewhere, right? Yeah, I mean, I... Well, I was just planning to set them on a pile on the ground, so you're telling me I shouldn't do that. No, you probably shouldn't do that. Okay. Um, so I should put them in a box? Yeah, like a cardboard box would be good. Maybe? You I think? got some old shoe boxes lying around. Mm. I think I saw someone do that in college. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the sad thing, you could probably put a Raspberry Pi in a shoebox. You, oh, you can fit a Raspberry Pi in an old cell phone case. I'm just saying, you know, it wouldn't overheat. It wouldn't overheat in a cell phone case either. Those things are <laughs> ice. Um, so, we're going to talk about cases. We are. Let's talk about some cases. I know it's a little bit... We've done all the internal stuff except for the motherboards. It's a little weird, but motherboards are going to tie the whole thing together. But we got to start putting things in places here. Like we've talked mm. about fans and all this other stuff, and and the power supply and all that stuff's got to go somewhere. And so let's do the case. The case is the most personal decision you can make on a computer. I would say yes, no. Yeah, I think it is one of the things that you will end up seeing the most. All this other stuff is kind of internal to the machine, and depending on the case you buy, you may never see it again. Yep. So if you if you want to express any sort of personality with the computer you're building, the case is your chance to do it. One might say the case almost needs to be your first choice. It could be if that is, you know, if aesthetics is what you are going for, then the case is probably the most important choice. If you have a specific build in mind, a specific case in mind, um, there are some cases, uh, and then the one that I picked is an example of this, that have the same look in multiple sizes. So you're mm -hmm. able to kind of design around the size that you'd like. But one of the important things is to decide early on, how big a thing do you want in your room? And Yep. Yes. They can go from anywhere from the size of a desk in terms of height and depth to the size of your palm, pretty much, you know? 
Yeah. And, you know, the not for the other stuff we've been discussing, I guess, but right. You know, if you're buying a regular computer sized video card, you're going to be kind of limited there. Right. Uh, Those things are pretty sizable. But, you know, you're going to end up needing to know the size of your motherboard before you buy the case so Uh that you buy a case that fits the motherboard of the size you have bought. And if you're a person that um, has decided you want a very specific video card first. Mm-hmm. You need to measure that in advance as well, because front to back, a lot of cases have a very specified amount of room for video cards, and the bigger and badder they are, the bigger and badder for fitting they are. <laughs> yeah. In a lot of cases, if there are a number of internal fans, or if you want to do water cooling or some things like that, it can be really tough to wedge the video card in there between... Mm-hmm reservoirs and fans and tanks and whatever other stuff you might have going on in there. All right. I'm going to throw some names out there and we're going to kind of explain what these mean. Because if you go to look at for a computer case, you're going to see a wealth of names of things and uh, you're not going to know what to do. You're not going to know what to click in terms of, Oh, I only want to look in this category. So first of all, there's a subdivision here. Uh, We'll talk about later when we talk about motherboards of ITX and ATX. Yep. Don't worry about it. Yep. It's um, just size. That's all it means. It's just a size thing of of motherboards. So as long as whatever motherboard you're buying is listed as the size of your case, you'll be fine. Right. So if somebody says hmm, mid tower or no, let's start with full tower. That's the what? Size of the desk? Yeah, it's gonna. F- it is intended to sit on the ground underneath your desk and will reach, you know, calf height or something, mm, knee uh, height, depending <laughs> on how tall you are, I guess. Yeah, uh, they are. It is the old computer. If you think of like, I bought a big computer for you know to work in an office or something, and it's huge. They are gigantic. That is a full tower, right? Huge. Yeah. yeah, compared to what a computer can be, a full tower is. Uh, is quite big. Three, However, three, four video cards, maybe. Well, maybe depending on the motherboard, but the, the important thing, like the benefit of a full tower, right? Is there's space for stuff. If right. you want to do water cooling, you got space. If you want to have like 10 hard drives, you got space. If you want to have, you know, a, a CD drive and a DVD drive and a writer and a SSD and six hard drives, front and end fan, fan controller, <laughs> Yeah, and there is space for all that stuff. So, you know, that is, you know, that is your what you want to look like. You want to have cool little dials on the top to adjust your fans, you know, directly. Uh maybe a full tower is what you want. So then you come down a little bit in size to a mid tower, right? And that's right. like two thirds to a half the the size of a full tower. Mm-hmm. And yep, so. I would say those are some of the more popular ones. Well, Michael, that's what I've got. You got a mid tower, so about about what uh, twenty four to like two feet, three two two and a half feet tall. Uh, maybe closer to between a foot and a half and two. Okay, closer to two. All right, kind of deep so, though. Yeah, so I'm I'm sitting down, and it doesn't quite come up to my feet are flat on the ground, and it doesn't quite come up to my knees. Yeah, so I am the guy with the full tower, right? So then Michael is the guy with the half tower and Andrew. Um, 
Well, I <laughs> I don't have a tower at all, so we'll go to we'll go to Oh, okay. That's a different class. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's not fair. Uh the, the the my current computer, right? Um is what we call a micro ATX cube. Um so it fits my video card front to back and that's about it. <clears throat> we talked about subdivisions of size. ATX is ATX. A micro ATX motherboard will fit in an ATX mini tower, mid tower, or full tower. Mm-hmm. But a full ATX will not fit in a micro ATX only case. So Correct. You have to... It so goes, it, some things go one way. ATX boards all have the same mounting points, but... Um, they can only go one direction, right? Right. Yeah. So essentially what you're getting here is enough space to space the holes in the back so that you can put your screws and stuff to mount the board into the case in the correct locations. And so if you get an ATX or ITX is the other kind of standard um, yep. size. Mm-hmm. And then there's like mini ITX, full yep. ITX, whatever, a whole bunch of different ones. Uh, and just make sure your case supports the one you get. And like, you know, mini ITX, not the same as regular ITX. Micro ATX, not the same as regular ATX or mini ATX. Correct. My new case? Well, should we talk about my new case? Yeah. We can we can talk a little bit about what cases can offer you um, and and all that sort of stuff. So we're going with the NZXT H400. Which it looks like a a tower almost, but it's not. It's kind of like a a smaller square. It's got a tempered glass on one side. Cool. So you see into it, you know. And I chose the H four hundred version, not the H four hundred I version. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, it's a micro ATX case, which gives away the size of my board a little bit. Yep. But, you know, we can come back to that uh, when we talk about motherboards. <laughs> right. Uh, it's made out of steel all the way through, except for the tempered gl- glass. And um, much like uh, JJ has discussed when he moved cases, it has a back panel that comes off so you can manage your SSDs if you have them that are not M2, like the new ones that we purchased. Uh, if you have right. old SATA ones, they can mount to the back of the case, as well as all your wiring can go in there. And it also hides your um, your power supply, is the word, inside mm-hmm. of a little miniature shell. So it kind of looks all cleaned up. You can't see all the wires going into the power supply as things get hooked up. And the I think one of the most important things to consider in any type of case you're going to buy are these things like oh, there's a little panel here to hide the cords, or mm-hmm. there's a way to separate the power supply, or there's Easy cable management yeah. is a thing you'll hear them talk yeah, about. Yeah, very so much. If you or see the that, fans are already plugged in. Mm-hmm. It's stuff like this is the thing that will make your life so much easier down the road. When you're like, oh man, something is broken or my computer won't do whatever. The power doesn't turn on or whatever. And you can just look and very quickly follow the cable to where it's supposed to go. Be like, oh, it just came unplugged when I accidentally kicked it. <laughs> no problem. Instead yeah. of having to worry about it for like an hour and a half. Right. You can see that white stripe up and down there. That's a cable management thing. Like a cable oh, guide. <clears throat> yeah, it's a channel um, that you can, you know, attach all the stuff to the back of that and then push it into the case. 
Into yeah, a so lull. you can kind of keep them up and out of the way there. Right, exactly. Which out then the also the... has the benefit of allowing the airflow to work as it is intended to. Correct. Yes. If you look at one of these other um, screens or um, pictures, uh, the case came with fan screens as well, magnetized on there. Very important. If you can get one that has fan screens, you should. Because that dust is going to get everywhere. <laughs> yep. It doesn't and, matter where you put it. You think it's out away from the dust. You're wrong. It's full of dust. And every so often you will need to open that guy up and just shake those things up outside mm-hmm. <laughs> and get all the dust out of them. Right. Uh, it seemed like it had a lot. This particular one, uh, to me, I went with it for the looks first because I wanted that white look to match all the white components that are going into it. So it's got powder coated white outside of the steel as well as that white stripe inside. Should match all the other white items uh, that were purchased uh, fits the micro ATX and my card. And so one of the things that I kind of generally like about building a PC to me is trying not to overbuy. And one of those things can be a case. If you've got a ton of extra room in your case, you may, you may not have wasted some money. Um, it's yeah. not it's not a general rule that the bigger the case is, the more expensive it is. Sometimes they're not that expensive, even if they're large. But um, it is it is important to you know if the look is important to you, then sometimes buying the bigger case or the smaller case makes a difference, right? Right, right. It looks tighter and more clean if you can get a case that with good cable management and then know what your components are going to be, so that you don't have extra room, a bunch of extra room if you don't need it. Um, but that's not a soapbox thing. That's just a preference thing. Like um, I think it was JJ you said earlier, maybe you don't care how your components look because most cases don't have a tempered glass thing so you can see in. <laughs> right. I feel like it's relatively common for the enthusiast kind of cases to have a glass or plastic shield on the side so you can look in. Right. But certainly that's not always the case. I mean, if you buy a, a you know computer from... Dell or HP or whatever. Those are just black boxes, man. You can't see nothing in there. Right. Um, and you can certainly buy those kinds of cases and they don't need to be expensive because plastic is cheap. <laughs> so, yep. uh, you know, if that's what you, if you just want to get a case for cheap, man, you could get one for, I'm sure like 40 bucks or less. Absolutely. Absolutely. Easy. And, um, we talked because of, the design is such a thing, you can go up. You know, the oh, price goes yeah. up as high as you want. You can spend hundreds of dollars. Yes, this this retails for over a hundred. I did not pay anywhere near it. I waited for an Amazon warehouse deal to show up for this. Smart, um, good way to do it for a open box item. Looked at it, looks fine. Uh, you really can't damage a case per se. Yeah, it's like, oh no, you're missing one of the eight hundred screws it came with. That's, right probably fine as long as all the screens are there i knew i was replacing the fan anyway so not a big deal especially when you know stuff like that right um the h400 comes with an what they call an i version the i version has rgb lighting built into it which i wanted to do myself if i'm going to do it i didn't want to have their bright bright light or whatever it was uh pre-built in that i couldn't maintain and then also it's more expensive but it also came with some sort of robotic control noise mini computer thing in there that like has an app that you can use to control your fans and your lighting and a whole bunch of other, it's like a little hub 
for a whole bunch of your stuff if you're an enthusiast. And I thought to myself, doesn't the motherboard do some of that? It certainly could. Yeah. Yep. So uh, in the budget-minded sense, um, sometimes you can look at, at some options there and say, I can go cheaper, right? These things can be yeah. done a different way. Um, and that's yeah, We don't necessarily need this fun, but not necessarily required. Piece. Well, and then you get into proprietary, right? Like NZXT owns that software. And I mean, I don't think their company's going anywhere by the time this computer's done, but certainly I don't want to have to keep installing new things all the time just to control my fans, which can be controlled by the motherboard. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, what do we not cover with cases? Cases are they're a myriad of cases. Make sure you don't go too small for the things that you want to put it in there, but also decide how much space you have and what you want to do with your computer before you buy the other stuff that goes in there. You know, right? Like figure out where you're going to put this thing when it's all done. Right? Is it going to go on the floor? Is it going to go top of your desk? Are you going to try and do something fancy and mount it somewhere or? sling it under a desk so that it moves up and down with a standing desk or something like this. You know, know the sizes, figure out all that stuff before you buy the case and while you're planning the build because, you know, once it's done, it's you know, it's too hard. It's going to be tough to change. <laughs> uh, some people land. If you land, look for one with handles. Yep, those are definitely yes. things. They sell them just straight up with leather straps or, you know, like good cloth uh, rubber straps attached. Uh, and you can just pick it up and walk it out. I think that's cases, right? Yeah, that's, def that's definitely cases. I mean, there's you know, definitely it comes down to what you want. You know, cases are definitely a yeah. personalizable part of the computer for sure. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of arrangement, but most of them end up with power supply bottom, uh, ATX motherboard top, and that's kind of where you're at for airflow. So, yeah, um, unless you get into the micro ITX no video card, um streaming machines that you can try and build, you know, where you mount the computer to the back of a monitor or something. Um, yeah. Or you want to do something weird, like, you know, suspend it from a desk or something. So weight is a big concern or something like that. There's weird use cases for everything, but you know, in general, the standard PC cases you can buy, you know, from enthusiast companies like NZXT and Fantex and um, God, there's like a hundred of them. You well, know, Corsair, all these people. Get um, get Bit Phoenix, yeah, Bit Phoenix, yeah, Cooler Master. Yeah, everyone yeah, makes everybody. cases. Um, you know, those kinds of ones are going to sort of follow what Andrew was talking about. I never thought of myself as a like expensive case buyer. I was always, you know, like my Cooler Master um, ITX case was cheap. Well, all my cases in general have been cheap, but um, eh, I don't know. <laughs> something about this one grabbed me it was like it's so simple but so pretty buying a relatively fancy case and realizing all the nice features it has in terms of like the accessibility stuff and how you can take the back panel off and how it manages the cords for you and sort of the modular nature of parts of it and how easy it is to discern where everything goes and stuff was like a real revelation to me and if you can afford it i think it's it's worth it to spend that extra money. Yeah, I can't some, wait. Some nice quality of life upgrades there. Yeah. If you, if you can't spend that money or if you don't have it and this, you need to save somewhere, this is the easiest place to save. Just buy a dirt cheap one. It, as long as it's the right size, it'll work just fine. You can figure the rest out later. Yeah. We are proponents. I mean, a lot of people don't care where all their cables goes, 
we I'm a proponent of making sure your cables are tied up and clean because if you have a problem, you know something bad didn't happen because a cable shifted or you know something it will you you can see it because the cables aren't in the way. A lot of people use the excuse that their cable their case is closed, so who cares where the cables went? But I can't wait to try this because you know, I, I make sure I have clean cables and putting clean cables in a case that has nowhere for them to go like this desktop ITX. Oh man, you route for hours trying to tuck everything down along little rails and yeah, and a lot of the manufacturers now give you like, hey, you know, we know that this is weird. We've like installed, you know, cloth straps or zip ties or whatever to the case where they're just like, hey, tie them up right here. Mm-hmm. Just like bundle them up, put them up right here, zip tie, cinch it out of, up out of the way because yeah. they know, right? Well, we are finally entering a world of less cables. Like you need power to go from your motherboard to your power supply and from your video card to your power supply. You may not have a hard drive because your M your M2 slot, you probably don't have a disc drive. Your fans are all probably hubbed to your motherboard. Yeah. Thank God the old bad days when I used to have like four hard drives in my computer and I had a hundred thousand cables because each one had its own SATA cable and power cable. Oh man. And then the hard drive and the video card and oh my God, kill me. Remember IDEs? Scuzzies. (laughs) Scuzzies. <laughs> I never wired a computer when Scuzzy existed, but I definitely did with IDEs. Yeah, I only ever have seen Scuzzies and shuddered. <laughs> <laughs> if you have Scuzzy emails to send us, uh, that can be podcast at webergamers.com. Oh, I was going to say for Scuzzy emails, don't email us. I don't want to know <laughs> what your idea of Scuzzy is. Yeah, man. SCSI is a cool connector. S C U C S I? C S S C SCUS Serial Computer. S C U. I think it's just S C S I. Anyway, whatever. SCSI. Uh email us about that stuff if you even know what that is. Uh send that in. S C S I, yeah. S C S I, yeah. also hit us up on social media. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, Twitter at We Were Gamers on all those places. Uh, also, you know, check us out on YouTube, man. Hit that like, follow us on there. Watch these, watch these pods by listening to them. Are we gonna do a special thing here, or do we run out of time? I think we're we're done. Okay. <laughs> Cliffhanger. <laughs> right. <laughs>